Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I am super excited to welcome our guest today. He has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals discover their why. He is the creator of the world's first why discovery tool to help people accurately and quickly discover their why in five minutes. And I can testify to that. He is an international speaker. He is the host of the Beyond Your Why podcast, founder and CEO of the Why Institute. Please welcome Gary Sanchez. Welcome, Gary. Greg, thank you. This can be fun. I'm looking forward to this. You're going to ask some questions I'm not used to answering. That's uh, that makes it that does make it fun. So let's jump right in, Gary. You know, this podcast we focus on endurance and endurance leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, Gary, tell me about how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Many, many different ways, and and I think Greg, it all starts back in sports. Um, sports was kind of my thing growing up. Uh, I was a hundred percent sure I was going to be an NBA basketball player. When I was very young, uh, a buddy of mine and I were the were kind of the two better basketball players in the Albuquerque area, and everybody else grew, and I didn't. And so by the time I was about fourteen, I was still five foot two, and my odds of becoming a NBA basketball player were not very high. So I ended up uh, switching sports from basketball to racquetball. At that time, racquetball was the fastest growing sport in the U.S. Everybody was starting to play and it didn't matter how tall you were to play racquetball. And my dad owned the local gym here that had all the racquetball courts. He actually owned this mega gym. And so I switched over to racquetball, which ended up being a, a great choice because uh, through those years, I ended up becoming the world champion in racquetball. I learned how to learn then learned how to compete. And then when it came time for the world championships, uh, I had to play 52 games in five days. And so endurance became a very big part of it. And at that stage, you end up actually enjoying the part about what can I put myself through? What can I endure? How can I test myself? What's going to happen to me when the time comes, will I wilt? Will I push forward? Right. You don't know. And I know you've had some, you've had a lot of experience in endurance sports as well, but until you put yourself there, you don't really know. Absolutely, Gary. And in fact, I was thinking about that this weekend. I had a three and a half hour run on my calendar and I had to block it out into three different runs because of my family schedule. And I remember specifically, because we've had other conversations around this, thinking of our conversation saying, I get to do this. This isn't suffering. I choose to do this. But before we dive into that, I'd love to lean back into the comment you made around learning yeah. how to compete. Give us a little bit more detail there. So when I first started playing, I found the best person I knew. His name was Greg Peck. He lived in El Paso, Texas. And I loved his swing. I didn't know how to play. Nobody really knew how to play back then. It was just coming, uh, just starting, kind of like pickleball is today. And I found whoever was the best that what, uh, 
And his name, like I said, his name was Greg Peck. And so I copied what he did. I used to stand in front of a mirror for hours and hours and practice my swing, practice my swing until I looked just like he did. And then I got to be as good as he did. And then I found a way to make it even better. So I learned a system. I learned a process for finding success through sports. Find somebody who's doing what you want to do. Copy what they're doing until you can do it as good as they can. And then find a way to beat them. And that's what I've done in business. That's what I've done in so many different areas of my life. But it started all way back then in learning how to compete. And so I taught that to many kids as I coached throughout the years, coaching soccer and coaching others in racquetball. Uh, I would teach them how to learn and how to move forward a lot faster by following that simple little formula. How did you come up with that formula originally? Like when did, when did that light bulb go on that, that told you, Hey, if I emulate these great athletes or these great business people and practice and practice and copy and copy that it would turn into something for you, which then now you then educate others on, on that same process. But when did it first occur to you that, Hey, this is a thing. When I was 15, I went to the national championships in Chicago. And that's where I met this kid, Greg Peck. And he was younger than me. He was 13 and I was 15. And I and he was better than me. And I kept thinking, now, why is that guy better than me? I, you know, just from asking lots of questions to myself. So why don't I do it the way he's doing it? If he's better than me and he hits it harder and he has more, more accurate and he has just better everything than me, well, why am I doing it this way? Why not do it the way he's doing it? And so that's exactly how I did it. I, I, uh, I created that picture in my mind of his swing, his movement, the way he served, the way he hit all these different shots. And then I replicated that by standing in front of a mirror, but it just became an obvious way to go faster. I could try it on my own and hope that I find something better, but I already know what better looks like. I'm looking at it. I'm watching it. So at about age 15 is when I was the first time I did that. And then as I progressed through winning the local events, and then I go off to college, I was one of the better players in Colorado. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder uh, for undergrad, and I would enter all of these tournaments. So I knew that worked in my local area, but I didn't know if it would work in other states and on a regional and national level. And so when I would enter tournaments, you would see me warming up and I would be have the best swing. I looked the best. I hit it the hardest. And then I wouldn't win. Somebody would come along and beat me. And that happened to me a few times until one day, this guy walked up to me after I played and he said, you know, you should be winning all of these tournaments, but you're not. He says, you need to read this book. Hmm. And he handed me a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And I, once I read that book, I learned the inner game of competing. So there's the outer game of being able to have good mechanics and hit the ball well and have good stamina. But then there's the inner game of how to actually compete. And through reading that book, I learned how to win before I ever walked in the court, the way I walked, 
the way I talked, the way I set my bag down, even the way I would open up the door to walk in the court, the way I would talk to my opponents, I would let them know before, just in the warmups, that there is no way they could beat me. So I learned the art of competition. And once I read that book, I just won, you know, everything I could win. And it was very, very helpful in getting my mind right to go with the, you know, if you have your mind right, but you have no mechanics and you haven't, you haven't put the time in, not going to work. But if you put both together, that's when you can become unstoppable. And so it taught me how to compete, how to use the skills that I had to win. And then when the match would start, they knew there's no way they would be able to beat me. And that's just kind of what happened a lot. You know, so many of us struggle between how we train and how we compete, right? And you're giving us a key here. And I'm going to be jumping on Amazon after our podcast ends. Yeah. To, to, but before I read through that book, are there specific, is there a specific list of things that somebody who is curious about, hey, okay. I'm doing all this training, but I'm not winning? Are there certain things to look at sort of right off the bat that you would recommend? It's funny because I've given that book away to a lot of people now. And there was a basketball player here at, at, in Albuquerque at UNM. He played for the New Mexico Lobos, Ruben Douglas. And he was such an amazing looking athlete. You know, when you just run into somebody, you're like, gosh, just the way they run and move, they're like a gazelle. And he had the perfect shot. And I would play pickup basketball games with him. And just watching him play, he was like me. And so one day after we played, I ran into him in the parking lot. And I said, you know, Ruben, you remind me so much of me. I said, you have all the mechanics. You, you should do incredibly well, but you don't. And it's all a mental game. And it's all. And so I gave him that book and I told him my story. And he read that book. And the next year, he led the nation in scoring. And it just ended up having a great professional career in Europe. And, um, and then I ran into him years later and we talked about it. He said, yeah, that one moment when you gave me that book just changed things for me because I learned the inner game for the outer game. And as soon as you can get that right, depending upon the sport, right? The, you would notice it in him in just the way he handled himself. It's almost kind of like fake it till you make it, mm. right? Put doubt in the opponent's eye, which will give you more confidence. And that's what I did. That's what he did. That's what so many other people that I gave that book to. Uh, Steve Kerr, who's the coach of the Golden State Warriors, I think that it, I read somewhere where he has 10 copies of that book with him at all times because it's also been the same thing for him. And it's, it, it's about tennis, but it's not about tennis. And it's, you know, how to, again, compete, how to hang in there, how to, how to win. And there's an art to winning. There's an art to losing. But when you want, when you learn that it translates into so many other things. Um, I ended up switching sports from racquetball. Once I won the world championships in, in racquetball, I switched to squash. 
And squash is a completely different type of game. And you, if you don't know it, it's in a smaller court with a longer racket and a smaller ball that doesn't bounce as much. And if racquetball, the better you get in racquetball, the shorter the points were. It became a just smash it as hard as you could, uh, kill the ball kind of a sport. So you'd serve it and they would or would not get it back and then it would be a blast. It blast, 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 and the, and the point's kind of over. So the better you get, the shorter the points are. In squash, it's the opposite. The better you get, the longer the points are because you're playing against higher level athletes that can get everything that you hit. So it becomes much more tactical. So the endurance aspect of it plays in who's going to be able to win mentally because no matter what, you're going to get tired. There's no way around getting tired. And so you learn. What I learned is if you only have one way to do it, then when you're tired, you only know that one way. Meaning what you don't want is a, Here's how I play when I'm fresh, and here's how I play when I'm tired. Because you're going to get tired. If you only have the one way to play, when you're tired or not tired, you only know that one way. Is that making any sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I got that because when I was in college, the guy who was the best in the world at racquetball, back-to-back-to-back world champions in racquetball, his name was Mike Yellen. His girlfriend went to see you. And so he was in town two to three weeks every month. And I was the only one he would play. And so for two to three weeks every month, I got to play the best player in the world. And he would beat me as bad as he could beat me every single time. I never once beat him. And I played him thousands of times. I never once beat him. And I thought, how could he do that? How could he? So he played me as hard as he could play every time. And I kept asking, I mean, I asked him one day, why, why do you play like that? And he said, you know, you, you play like you practice. And if I let you win, if I don't give my all every single game, you're going to get in your mind that you can beat me. And right now, you have no chance, right? You don't think there's any chance for you to beat me. And I said, no, I don't. And I never did. And so I learned that it from him. And when I would play squash, I would beat whoever I'm playing as bad as I could beat them. Just so I had that one way to play. I had one way to play, and that was to win as bad as I could win. And I'd like to jump in a little bit deeper on the comment you made around if you only have one way to play, that when you get tired, you really don't have a way to play. If yes. I captured that right. So is the solution to that or the approach of, to that? you know, get yourself to a tired state and figure out your game plan. Like talk to me through yeah. seeing different ways of playing given your, where you are on the endurance journey. So a lot of people, if they're playing somebody not as good as they are, will play the game differently. They'll hit softer mm -hmm. shots. They'll kind of half-ass it, if you will. And so that then becomes their tired game or easy game when I'm not feeling good today game. So when they play in a tournament and things don't go their way or they get tired, they fall default to that game. So they have their 
when they're really into it game and when they're not so into it game. And when they're tired, they fall into the not so into it game, not so good game. But you never see Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, any of those tennis players, they try to beat people as bad as they can beat them every single time. They don't have their, hey, I think I'll dink it through this game, right? That's what I learned. I'd never wanted to have a bad backup game or a kind of half-assed game. I always wanted to be fully in control of every single game. I didn't lose a match for like 17 years because I didn't want to ever let up. And it was a just a mindset that you develop. So as I'm playing with younger players now, I try to get them to do the same thing. I said, don't have the, act like you're playing me every single time we play. Don't, even if you're playing somebody not as good as you, Beat them as bad as you can beat them if you want to get good. So how does that then translate into your training? So you're practicing your serves, you're practicing, you're by yourself in the squash court, practice, 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 practice. How does that mentality of I've only have one way of playing this game then come into your training and your preparation? So there's, there are two, two totally different things. There's practice and then there's playing. And they don't, they're not related really because um, let's go to golf because a lot of people know golf. There's practicing on the range and there's playing the course. And they're not the same thing. You can be an amazing practice player and terrible on the golf course because they're not necessarily related. You're playing an actual game when you're, you're, you're hitting to specific areas for certain reasons when you're playing golf, where on the practice range, you don't have, you know, side hill lies, or you don't have trees in the way, or you don't have grass growing against you. There's just, you're hitting to a, you know, out in basic shots. Playing the game of golf is so different than just being on the range. So it's the same thing. Um, but I would practice, this might uh, sound a little odd, but I would practice, Greg, in my head. I could practice sitting on an airplane, different shots in my head. And then, because uh, I didn't spend a lot of time later on practicing. I spend, like even in golf, I may practice uh, a couple times a year, but not very much. And, you know, I'm cl pretty close to a scratch golfer. So it's not really sports. Again, I learned through sports how to compete in all the different sports that I play so that I can have more fun playing. But it backfired on me once, Greg. I was coaching my daughter's five-year-old girls soccer team. And of course, here I am, this intense coach ready. We're going to go beat the crud out of these other little five-year-old girls, right? My girls are going to beat those girls. And so, <laughs> and so I go to put my daughter in the game. She's out of the game. I go to put her into the game to go dominate this other team. And, she, and I look around and she's not there with me anymore. And I'm like, well, she's down at the end of the, of the uh, field chasing a butterfly. <laughs> 
<laughs> and right in that moment, I learned being competitive is not always a great thing. Being competitive is not always the best thing. It might be great for me personally sometimes, but there's also more to it than just being competitive. You know, I learned a lot from coaching five-year-old girls. They taught me a lot about how to enjoy the game versus just win. I learned how to win at all costs. You know, I mean, you just got to win. Whatever you got to do to win, you got to win, not cheat, but I mean, you got to win. Five-year-old girls don't care so much about that. <laughs> I've, I've got a very, I've got a similar butterfly soccer story with my five-year-old from many years ago. Gary, shifting gears slightly, um, let's put this in a business lens. How have you used these concepts and tools um, in your business settings? So I ended up going into dentistry and I became a, a, a dentist. And of course, the advice that I was given at that time when I got out of dental school was build a great product and people will come. So I spent 20 years doing that, um, going to the best institutes, reaching. Same thing. I would find somebody who already does what I'm trying to do and hire them to teach me and coach me and then figure out how to do it like they did. And then, okay, now how do we do it even better? And I use those same principles to build a, a great dental practice. And, um, but I, what I, where I didn't learn it was how to actually stand out. In competitive sports, you stand out by winning. In business, it's harder to judge whether you're winning. You know, I found that I still blended in with everybody else who said, yeah, I'm a dentist too, even though they hadn't taken it to the level that I had. And that became very frustrating for me um, to the point where I was just ready to quit dentistry. I would built what my brother and I practiced together. We built what was, we thought was a great product. We did things at a very, very high level, but we didn't know how to tell people about that. And we thought they would tell others for us. And it didn't happen that way. And that's when I learned about the concept of why, starting with your why. I saw Simon Sinek's TED Talk. Right. I watched it 20, 30 times. I read his book multiple times and I said, that's what I'm missing. We have a great what, but I don't know my why. And so, like I mentioned before, what, what I do is find somebody who's already figured it out and have them help me. So I called Simon and I asked Simon to help me discover my why, you know, back in this about 14 in 2009. And so he and I spent about eight months together going back through my life, looking for clues as to why I do what I do. And uh, when, when we finally kind of figured it out, that my why is to find a better way and then share it, that's when my life started to make a lot of sense to me. I look back and I found a lot of better ways to do things. I have a lot of patents and products and inventions that are all better ways of doing things. And so uh, I went back and figured out what Simon was trying to do, and I made it better. So instead of taking six or eight or 10 months to help someone discover their why, I could help them discover it in, in about an hour. So back, you know, 14 years ago, Greg, I could sit down with you and, and in about an hour, help you discover your why and then build your messaging and marketing and branding all based on your why. And so um, the whole concept of endurance. So to to continue that story as i as i figured out my why and started helping others discover their why i started to notice patterns and trends and similarities and and then i started helping anybody who would let me 
discover their why. And I did this for thousands of people and hundreds of businesses for free. And I started to notice these patterns and trends and similarities. And I figured out there's only nine different whys. And then with all the data that I'd collected, I was able to develop the algorithm, write the software. And in 2016, I launched the Why Institute, which helped people discover their why. And I gave it away to hundreds of thousands of people for free uh, in order to get more and more data. And with that data, we were able to develop the YOS, Why Operating System Discovery, which finds your why, your how, your what, and creates your message for you in about eight minutes. And that's the one that you were able to take. Mm-hmm. And um, so back to this endurance thing, now I'm bringing the YOS to the world. So what does a dentist know about bringing software to a billion people? Not much, right? And a lot of times you you know almost feel like, what am I doing? Um, why am I doing this? How can I, how am I possibly going to get this done? But endurance and knowing that this too shall pass, let's find another better way. Let's keep pushing forward. Let's hang in there. Let's see where this goes. Let's keep playing the odds. All those things that we learn in sports on our journey to excel in sports have played out for bringing something like software to the world. Does that make sense? It does make sense, Gary. And I'm I'm curious um, if you've seen a pattern in the why amongst endurance athletes or athletes that are trying to be, you know, elite. So for those of you listening, Greg's why is to challenge the status quo and think differently. So he doesn't like to follow the rules, doesn't like to do it the way everybody else does it doesn't draw inside the lines, does it his own way. Would you say that's accurate? It is. That's why this podcast exists. (laughs) Exactly. How he goes about doing it is by finding better ways and sharing them. And ultimately what he brings are solutions that make sense. Things that are doable, that work. Right? Does that feel right? Completely. And my why is to find a better way and share it. How I do with that is by making things clear and understandable. And ultimately what I bring are simple solutions, things that are simple and easy to do. And so I know there's a lot of endurance athletes that have the why of better way. I know there's a lot of people with the why of challenge like you have. Um, but I think it would be a great study. Uh, I started out to do that. I was going to have some really high-level athletes on my podcast. Um, I just need to get around to completing that. I have some, but I want to get more. And then I can really study that. But I don't have a great answer. I think there's going to be a lot of better way, a lot Mm -hmm. of people with the why of challenge, um, probably a lot of people with the why of right way, actually, because their process, systems process, people that love to continue to find things that make it predictable. And so uh, that I think that's what we're going to find. Well, I, I look forward to the, the outcome of that research. Uh, Gary, shifting gears slightly, talk to us about you. Like, let's go back to your childhood, how, how you grew up. You, t- you, know, you mentioned at age 15, you were in competitive racquetball, but give us a sense of who you are. My 
father was a dentist. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Sports was always a big thing for us in our family. Uh, my parents, my dad was a very competitive handball player. Um, and so he built, like I said, the first mega club here at 20 courts, two indoor pools, you know, restaurants, bar, all that kind of stuff in it. It, it was quite a, a great place. So I grew up around sports. I would always get accolades from my father for being good at sports. So I think that was a big reason why it, it was how he and I connected. Basketball, like I said, was my thing, playing at the boys club, playing at, in all the different leagues. And then I was faced with the challenge of not growing um, and going from, you know, being a very high level athlete to I go off to college and I'm still pretty short. Uh, you know, I finally grew in college, but I remember my first day of college, I heard, you know, whose little brother are you? Because not only was I short, but I looked really young. Mm. And so there were challenges that came along with that. And in every step along the way, I always had to find a better way. I had to find a better way when I was short. I had to find a better way when I wasn't winning tournaments. I, finding a better way has played out for me over and over and over in, in everything that I do. Uh, I was When I was in college, I was sure... I was going to be a professional racquetball player. Racquetball was growing like crazy. I did something stupid. I got on the back of a motorcycle with no shirt, no shoes, no helmet, just shorts and flip-flops and a, a sissy bar and crashed. And, you know, scraped up my legs and feet so bad that I couldn't play for a long time. And then I thought, hmm, do I want to put all my eggs in that basket? And uh, realized that was not a smart choice. And that's when I ended up going off to dental school. Uh, found a better way to create the lifestyle that I wanted. And then as same thing through dentistry, just kept finding better ways to do things um, until that's when I learned about the why. And I found a better way than Simon was doing. And that's when I developed the YOS discovery that we talked about. And it's just something that has played out in my life over and over and over, finding better ways to do things and sharing them with the world. And that pretty much summarizes so much of who I was and who I am even today, continuing to do that. I suspect you've got thousands of stories of helping individuals and teams find their why and the outcomes that those have produced. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your favorite stories? Give us some examples to give the audience a little bit of a flavor of, of, yeah. of understanding of, of not to use the word, but why this is important. <laughs> Last weekend I was in a golf tournament and I um, ran into a gentleman I'd met about five years before. His name is Brian Green. He was, um, this happens to me a lot since I own the Y Institute, but people will say, hey, will you help so-and-so discover their why? And so about five years ago, no, it's probably more like seven years ago, I was in uh, this same golf tournament, and this is where I met Brian Green. And so he had just taken over as the baseball coach for New Mexico State University, the worst program in the nation. 
And he, his friend asked me if I would help him discover his YOS. And so we did. His why was trust. His how was right way. And his what was contribute. So he wants to be the trusted source. Trust is a very big deal to him. And when he found that his, saw that his why was trust, he's like, that is me to a T. That's what I talk about. That's what I preach. He said, we got to have this for my coaches and my players. So I went down and worked with all of his uh, coaches and players to help them discover their why, how, and what. And then we created this big matrix up on the side, on the wall that had who they were, what their position was, and what their why, how, and what was. And so at lunch, uh, when I was with Brian, I said, Brian, circle your favorite players. So he went on and circled all of his favorite players and found out that they were all in two different whys, right way and trust. And we And I said, Brian, if you could have those a team of mostly those players how would that feel for you he said oh man that would be perfect so he started recruiting utilizing the yos mm-hmm. and he built his team that way and he had the large uh, the biggest turnaround in the history of the ncaa went on to have four 30 win 30 plus win seasons in a row after that had five players taken in the major league draft one as player number five Then he got hired away to Washington State University, where he did the exact same thing there. And when I ran into him a a week ago or a couple weeks ago, he had just gotten hired away from Washington State University. Now he's the head coach at Wichita State University, which is another step up. So now he's going to do the same thing at Wichita State University. But every single thing he does, he just couldn't stop talking to me about it. He said, everything I do is around the why OS of my coaches and the YOS of my players. That's how I know who I have and how I know the best people to be on my team. And so if you're listening to this, I I did a podcast interview with him. uh, And if you want to hear his version of what I just told you on my podcast, it's called Beyond Your Why. Look for Brian Green and you'll see, you'll hear how this all played out. But I have, yeah. Put a yeah, link we'll definitely put a link to in our show notes. Um, I could keep going on in questions. I'll get, I got a couple more. How about for children? Is there, is this an adult only sort of concept? Have you, have you applied it to children? Talk to us about those that, those types of situations. I had two daughters. One went through high school and college, not knowing her YOS. And the other one went through co- high school and college, knowing her YOS completely different paths. One was very sure who she is and what she wanted to do. And that's what she's doing today. She's 25 now. And the other one's 28. And it took her six years to get through college. She floundered, wanted a year off, didn't know what to do with her life, Um, has now come into her own uh, after the fact. But the paths are so, so different. So this is that that's a really great question. And this is why, because what most people do, me included, possibly you, is we don't know what we want to do. So we just kind of go with what feels right in the moment, or we live life by default. We go off to a school where we think we're going to have fun or think it has a good reputation. Uh, I went off to college undeclared, stayed undeclared as long as I could. Finally had to figure out what I wanted to do. And they just picked the thing I had a good grade in, which was biology. So I became a biology major. Oh, shoot, I'm a biology major. 
But then you have to figure out what are you going to do with a biology degree? And I had no idea what I was going to do with that. So I picked dentistry because my dad was a dentist. I thought, let me see if I like it. Off to USC, I go to dental school. I did enjoy it. And then you get into your career and you start accumulating things. Now you're very invested into it. I had four years of college, four years of dental school. Now I'm into my dental practice and you start accumulating, right? Houses, cars, wives, wife, hopefully one, but maybe more, kids. And then you get stuck in what you're doing. If you find out that that's not really what you should be doing, you can't really change because you've got a lot of overhead. You've got a lot of obligations. And so you stay there until your kids grow up and get move off to college and past college. And now you can figure out what you want to do with your life. So you're 30, 40, 50 years old when you finally decide to do what is your passion. And your runway is very short. So you've got from, say, 50 to 65 or 70 to get to do what you wanted to do. Whereas if you discover your YOS when you're young, you get on the right career path early, you find your passion, your purpose, your direction at a very early age, your runway becomes much longer. You'll have from, say, your 20s or even teens to 65 or 70 to live the life that you wanted to live. And so the earlier we can help people discover their YOS, the sooner we can help them find their passion, the sooner we can help them make better decisions and get on the right path at an earlier age. Would it be valuable, Greg, for a high school girl to know that she has a gift and what her gift is? before she starts to date, before Absolutely. she picks a career, right? Before she picks a spouse, same thing with a high school boy. So the earlier you can get them clear on who they are and where they'll find their passion, because if what they choose to do is in line with their YOS, they'll have passion for what they do. And passion is the fuel that gives you the energy to pursue your dreams to stick to it, to stay, to, to hang in there when times get tough. Without passion, you don't have anything. So the earlier we can help them find that, the bigger their upside will be, the better their life will be, the more fun enjoyment they'll have. That's awesome. And with somebody in that age bracket, I, uh, I can yeah. appreciate that. Gary, how can an audience member get in touch with you? What's your social media platform of choice? So the best way, if, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what your why or YOS is, just go to the whyinstitute.com and discover it. Not very expensive. $47 to find your why, $97 to find your YOS. Just go do it because it's not expensive, but it'll, it, it's incredibly valuable. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can just look up Gary Sanchez or Why Institute on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. I'd, I'd love to... Uh, talk with somebody who believes what I believe, which is knowing your YOS is that first step. Let, let me add one more thing, Greg. There's a lot of confused and stuck people out there not knowing what to do, where, and, and all they really need to know is what is my first step? Because once you know your first step, 
You know, you can't steer a parked car. Once you get the park, the car moving, you can steer it. And so the first step is discovering your YOS. If you know your why, your how, and your what, so many of life's big questions become much easier when you know that. We talked about passion, right? When you know when what you do is in line with your YOS, you'll find your passion. If you go to a career where you get to live your YOS and you're valued for it, you'll find your fit. If you have a business and you're trying to figure out how do I stand out? What do I say about myself or my business to stand out from everybody else who does what you do? Discover your YOS and it'll give you the words to clearly articulate what makes you different. So there's so many benefits in knowing it. It's the first step. That's awesome. Gary, I've loved this conversation. I think we could go on and on and on. Um, in particular, I, I feel your passion for the why and the, your why institute and thank you for trying to touch i think you said a billion people yeah um that's super impressive i also enjoyed our conversation around learning how to compete it's not just about competing and the difference between a practice and playing um you know the stories you shared the books recommendations you've given there's a ton of awesome content that you have provided thank you and i ask that the audience members who have received value out of this please share it please like our show please tell your friends the only way this message expands and reaches a greater community is by us talking about it so please do that gary once again it's been fantastic having you on the show i i can't wait to dig in even deeper into my why get my kids on board get a better understanding of, of where how i can help them with this tool so once again thank you thanks for having me i really enjoyed it greg Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.